Uh, turn with me this morning in the Word of God to the book, book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Now we've already completed our exposition of Philippians chapter 1 and 2, and we're turning this morning to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord, reading, of course, from the authorized verse. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, Beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For him I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. We'll end the reading there at verse 15. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own inerrant and infallible word. Now my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 3 and the verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And my theme today is the Christian's responsibility to rejoice in Christ. Now remember, the Apostle Paul is in prison. He's under arrest. He has been guarded 24-7 by at least two Roman soldiers. 
He has a death sentence hanging over him that could be executed at any moment. And here he is in this prison cell writing to the church at Philippi under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And he writes to encourage them and help them cope with his imprisonment and the possible pending execution. Now, one of the things that the Apostle Paul says to the believers at Philippi is this. Rejoice in the Lord. Can you see that in the text? Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, isn't that amazing? It wasn't the church at Philippi who sent these words to the Apostle Paul in prison, urging him to rejoice in the Lord despite his circumstances. No, it was the Apostle Paul in prison facing death difficult circumstances and he writes to every true believer in Christ in Philippi and us today to do something and what does he want us to do he wants us to rejoice in the Lord now I want you to think of three things this morning there's usually three or four isn't there but three things this morning I want you to think first of all of the principal theme that is reiterated Look, look at the words, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. You see, in the book of Philippians, there's an emphasis again and again and again on the theme of joy and rejoicing. It's a major theme of the book. I have in the Porter Cabin a, a book written by Warren Wearsby. It's called the B series on the New Testament. And in the book of Philippians, he entitled it, be joyful. You see, the word joy is mentioned six times in the book. Chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 1, verse 25. Chapter 2, verse 2. Chapter 2, 17. Chapter 2, 18. And 4, verse 1. The word rejoicing is found one time. Chapter 1, verse 26. And the word rejoice is found 11 times, starting at chapter 1, verse 18, right through to chapter 4, verse 10. Now, now think of these references to joy, rejoicing, and rejoice. Add them all up 18 times. And, and you can discern from, from the mention of that that there's a strong emphasis on the book on the theme of joy. Now, now Paul's already mentioned it in chapters 1 and, verse two, and chapter 2. And now he's mentioning it again. Now, notice a couple of things. Notice who it's mentioned to. Finally, my brethren. Now, the word finally doesn't necessarily mean last of all. If I say finally, or my final point is, you're expecting me to finish at that point. It's the last thing that you're going to say. But finally, strangely enough, doesn't necessarily convey finality. The word finally in the Greek can also be translated furthermore. That's the way it's translated in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. It means in addition to or besides what I've said. I'm going to add a further thought. You see, the word finally is not the last thing he's going to say. What it really is, it's a return to the principal thing. And the principal thing in the book is joy, rejoicing and rejoice. And that's what he's going to return to. 
Notice the words, my brethren. That's those born again of the Holy Spirit, those washed in the blood of Christ by faith, those who have been adopted into God's family, those who have God as their Father, Jesus Christ as their Redeemer, the Holy Spirit as their Sanctifier and Comforter. The Apostle Paul is not addressing the ungodly world all around him. He's speaking primarily to the world of God's dear people. And I say this morning, if you're a true believer here in Christ, then here's a message for you. It's addressed to believers in Christ. And if you're a believer in Christ, then it's addressed to you. I believe it's a message that every believer needs. Every believer needs to rediscover and hear about the theme of real joy. Because I want to tell you, real joy is more than happiness. Real joy is more than a fleeting emotion. You think about a football team and they've just won the League Cup final. And the facial expressions and the voice on the, on the supporters. And they can be happy. But you know, there's a difference between happiness and a deep inner joy. You can be happy without a deep inner joy. Paul's reference to rejoice in the Lord, the word rejoice means a deep inner joy. A joy rooted in great gospel truths that are centered in Christ. It's a spiritual joy. It's something away beyond mere happiness. It's an inner joy in the soul. A joy in reality that's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 2.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. It's a possession of every true believer by virtue of the new birth in Christ. So there's who it's mentioned to. Notice what it is. Rejoice in the Lord. It's not a rejoicing in oneself. It's not a rejoicing in one's circumstances. Remember, your circumstances can change. Nothing stays the same forever. It's not a rejoicing in one's church or in one's religion or rejoicing in the family circle or, or in your friends or, or in your financial well-being, your, your riches. No, no, it's none of these things. It's a rejoicing in the Lord. In other words, it's a Christ-centered joy. Do you see what it is? A joy whose source is Christ. A joy whose strength is in Christ. Remember Nehemiah 8 and 10 when they built the walls. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's a joy whose safety and security is in Christ. A joy whose satisfaction in Christ. Many today in the world are looking for true joy. And they can't find it. They don't know its source. They don't know how strong it can make them be. They don't know how secure or satisfied they can be in Christ. Now, none but Christ can satisfy, the hymn writer said. You see, it's only found in Christ, never outside of him, but always and only in him. So, so that's what it is. I want you to think also of why it's mentioned. Now, this is important. Notice what Paul says. Finally, my brethren, rejoiced in the Lord to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Here's why he's, he's writing this. 
When he said, it's not grievous to me, what he meant was, it's no bother to me. It's not a trouble to me. It's not a problem for me to write the same things to you. For, for me to reiterate this to you. For you, it is safe. In other words, it contributes to your safety and your protection. He's saying rejoicing in the Lord contributes to our spiritual safety and security in Christ. That's why he keeps repeating it. Now, now, do you see that today? Remember, the source, the strength, but the safety and security is in Christ. Now, now why does he say this? Repeating it 18 times. Same theme. Do you know that your joy in the Lord can be weakened? It can be shaken? Isn't the reality that many believers are struggling today? Isn't it true that many good Christian people are very unhappy and they're not experiencing the joy of the Lord? Many believers are over-anxious. They're concerned about many things, things that are temporal, things that are material, things that are physical. And because they're focusing on those things, they're not living in the fullness of joy in the Lord. Many have lost the sense of the Lord's joy. The truth is that many of us, myself included, are not as joyful as we should be in the Lord or joyful as we could be. We do look at our circumstances and our situations. We look into our hearts and we see our sins and our shortcomings, our, our failures and our follies. We look into society and we think, what's wrong with Britain today? There's a lawless mess out there. And you only have to maybe listen to the Jeremy Kyle show, for example, to give you a little snapshot of the mindset of society today. We look into the church, and I'm not speaking just primarily of this church or this denomination, although it applies, but I'm speaking about the church of the redeemed right throughout Northern Ireland. And when people look into the church, they, they see and hear infighting. Believers at loggerheads over petty things. A spirit of jealousy, backbiting, envy. What on earth is going on? We look at the lack of things that we possess. And we, we covet things. And we're overwhelmed. And the truth is, when we're looking at the circumstances and the church and society and, and, and looking at the lack of things we possess, we're, we're all the while, we're losing sight of the Lord. We can even look at our trials and troubles and we become downcast and despair. We feel like giving up and we certainly don't feel like being joyful. You see, our joy can be weakened. Our joy can be shaken. And the Apostle Paul's a realist. And, and he knows this. And he knows what has weakened and shaken the believer's joy in the Lord at Philippi. So, so he emphasizes this principal theme. Finally, my brother. 
Furthermore, in addition to what I've said, besides what I've said, I'm, I'm going to reiterate this again. It's not grievous to me. It's for your safety and well-being. I want you to do something for me. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. So there's the principal theme that's reiterated. Notice, secondly, a practical truth that is reasonable. We could ask the question, why should the Christian rejoice in the Lord? Remember, this is penned by a man who's in prison under sentence of death. He could lose his life at any moment. Things are uncertain. And going by appearance and outward circumstances, he has no reason to rejoice. Why is this man joyful? Why has he got inner joy in his soul? Do you know Paul had every reason to rejoice? He had the best reason of all. Do you know what it is? It's a main truth that gripped his heart. It filled his mind. And it was this. He was in Christ. Can you see that? Rejoice in the Lord. You think of his position. He was in Christ. Despite all the outward circumstances and situation, Paul was in Christ. There was one day when he received Christ as his Lord and Savior. Remember in Acts 9, at noonday on the Damascus Road, one time, one moment, he's outside of Christ, he's without Christ, he has no hope, he's without God in this world. He's a religious, respectable man, yes, but he's not in Christ. And then at noonday, he asks, who art thou, Lord? And he hears, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And then he says, by way of response, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? One day he's out of Christ. And then in a moment of time, he's brought into Christ. Now, is that true of you? And remember what he wrote in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 8. If you look at the last couple of verses, Here's encouraging things to remember in a bad day. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul said this. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, isn't that a tremendous truth? At least I, I think it is. He was focusing in prison on the fact that he is in Christ. And therefore, he was able to rejoice in Christ. He was thinking of his position in Christ. Let me just read another portion. This is from the prophet Habakkuk or Habakkuk. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, Neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stall. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Do you see that? Rejoice in the Lord. Paul knew his Old Testament, and he was led by the Spirit to pick the very same four words that, that Habakkuk mentioned to the people in his day. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. What's Habakkuk saying? Although the fig tree doesn't blossom, 
There's no fruit in the vine. The labor of the olive fails. There's no herd in the stall. The harvest fails. The, the, the land is left barren and wasted. The, 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 the sense of staple life is gone because the olive has failed. There's not a cow or sheep in the field or in the stall. They're empty. You can imagine a farmer looking into his empty stalls and his empty fields and really being overwhelmed by it all. And yet, yet Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. You see, he was thinking of his position. He's in Christ. He's united to Christ by faith. He, he's in union with Christ. He's been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. He, he's been called uh, effectually by the power of the Spirit. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He has been cleansed in the precious blood of Christ. He was converted, as I've said, in the Damascus Road, born of the Spirit. He, he's been counseled by the Lord uh, what to do. He, he is cared for continually. He, he is loved with an everlasting love. He is carried in the arms of the good shepherd. That's he has all this in Christ. Notice something else very quickly. Think of our possessions in Christ. You see, if you're a child of God this morning, you're a true believer, you're in Christ, do you know that you're rich? Not in this world's goods, but you're rich in the things of God. Isn't that what Paul emphasizes in 2 Corinthians in chapter 8 and verse 9? For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And you are rich. You're rich because you're born again of the Holy Spirit. You're indwelt by the Spirit of God. You have a full and free and forever justification. The mass of sin is all forgiven. It's been carried away like the rubbish. It's been covered over by the blood. What sins are you talking about? It's been cancelled out by the, 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 the promise of God. We were singing in that lovely hymn, Horatio Spafford's. A lovely story. I, I wish I had time to tell you that story. And not only what happened in mid-Atlantic and the loss of four daughters and the saving of his wife uh, who ended up in Wales, but, but, but the, the continuation of the story on into Jerusalem. You maybe have to go to Jerusalem or, or talk to Mr. McElveen and he'll tell you furthermore about the Horatio Spafford story. But, but think of this hymn. It is well with my soul. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to his cross. I, I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. See, Horatio Spafford knew he had been born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God indwelled him. He had a full and free and forever justification. His massive sin was forgiven. He had been purchased by the blood of Christ. He adopted into God's family. The love of God was put into his heart. He had a hatred for sin. He, he was looking for the realization of his inheritance in Christ which is Christ himself. He had peace with God. Even in a time of trouble, he had access to God's throne. Now, now you think this morning of the story of the rich farmer. He was rich in this world's goods, Luke 12. But Jesus told the parable to emphasize this. But he was not rich toward God. You see, once you're positionally in Christ, then Christ's possessions become yours. Farmer told me recently 
that you keep working till it's all done. And when the work's done, you're done. And you haven't the ability to enjoy the fruit of the labor. And that man, that farmer who had worked all his life and got bigger and better every year, he forgot he had a soul. He forgot he needed to be right with God. He forgot he needed to be saved. He forgot the best and true riches of all is rich toward God. Think of your prospect in Christ. Going home to be with the Lord. Didn't Paul say in this very letter, with Christ, which is far better. And remember the story of the, the, the nurse in the hospital and the man was dying, saying to the nurse that Reverend Martin told us during the time of mission in the schoolhouse that he, he asked the nurse to write on his eyelids, uh, with Christ. And she said, I couldn't do that. And then he says, well, I'll tell you, write something else far better. And she said, I couldn't do that either. But, but you'd got the message. This man was dying, but he was dying in Christ and he was going home to be with the Lord and he had the assurance that he was going to the Father's house, the home of many mansions. John 14, verses 1 to 3. Listen, dear folks, the storms of life will come. Trials and troubles will overwhelm you. We will all face times of disappointment. And I want to tell you, God's people, even God's Christians, will let you down. And there'll be difficulties in the life and witness of the church as there has been from the dawn of time. And our circumstances will change and evil men will advance and wax worse and will be hunted by our past sins. But in the midst of all that, because we're in Christ and because we have all these spiritual possessions and I've only mentioned them, not the physical, not the material, not the temporal. And you think of the hymn, count your blessings. Let's put them all together in a package and let's think. And not only that, we've got this prospect at home with the Lord. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now with one final thing. I said there was three things. A principal theme that's reiterated. I said as well that there was a practical truth that was reasonable. And I want you to think of this third thing. A personal test that's realized. You see, the word rejoice, underline that in your Bible. This is not just a piece of advice. It's not something that's a suggestion that you can take or leave. It's even stronger than a mere exhortation. You see, the word rejoice in the Greek New Testament is a command. The word rejoice is a verb. It's an active verb. In other words, it's a doing word. And and this is an imperative. Paul is telling the Philippian church what he wants them to do. This is his command to them. It's something that they're being told to do and we're being told to do. Now, when you think of joy and rejoicing and rejoice in the Lord, you and I have a big responsibility to do this. We we must do this. We, We have to do this. Listen, we're capable of doing this by the help and grace of God. But I don't feel like it. And you're absolutely right. And I don't feel like it many times. But it's a command. Now, Now, think of this as we finish. Think of the essence of this command. Rejoice in the Lord. 
It's a joy, remember, that's rooted in Christ. It's a deep, real, inner joy. Despite our circumstances, think of your position in Christ. Think of all you possess in Christ. Think of your prospect in Christ. And there'll be times, yes, when you're sad. Times you'll be full of grief, especially when death comes and takes away a loved one. At times you'll face trials and troubles. At times you'll have difficulty and hardship. But you, in the midst of that, can still know inner joy in the soul. Remember Habakkuk, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. You can rest in Christ. You you can rely on Christ because you're rooted in Christ. Let's learn to lean hard on the Savior. Let's learn a dependence on him, whatever our circumstances. Think of the experience of this command. Why should we take it seriously? Well, it's God's command. It's God's word. We should learn to listen to what God says. It brings glory to God. It honors the gospel of Christ. What credit to Christ is a miserable Christian who doesn't or hasn't learned to rejoice in him? You know, many miserable Christians, sadly, are full of bitterness. They're unhappy. It's a spirit of complaining, spirit of murmuring every time you meet them. This has happened. It's God's fault. He's to blame. Or or this person's done this to me. Or or this person has said that. Doesn't it discredit our own testimony? Others who are unconverted are seeing and listening to us. And we're miserable. Does the Bible not say happy is the people whose God is the Lord? And doesn't this failure to obey this command leave us open and vulnerable then to the attack of the devil? And the devil comes and gives us a spiritual kicking betimes. You think of the suffering of Job and the impact it had on him. You see, there is the experience of it. We must take it seriously. Let me finish. Think of the expression of it. Hi. Negatively. I would suggest that we avoid all known sin. Remember Psalm 51? David backslidden for 11 months, guilty of adultery, murder, and lies. Sin, remember, will rob us of our joy in Christ. Let's learn to keep short accounts with God. Let's learn to be sensitive to sin. Let's be like Christ who hated sin. Be like Job who hated iniquity. You will never be perfect, but we can be fully committed. We can hate sin the way Christ teaches us and tells us to hate sin. Negatively, let's accept that our possessions can be taken from us. Job lost all that he had, his family, his farm, his finance. He lost the respect of his wife who told him, curse God and die. He lost his his trusted friends who who blamed him of hypocrisy and, and hiding a secret sin and told him that God was punishing him. Do you know often we put too much importance in things? But our things that God has given us can be taken from us. There's no sin in having legitimate things. But let's learn to hold them, while we hold them lovingly, let's learn to hold them loosely. Job held them lovingly but loosely. And when they were gone, did he lose his joy? No, he bowed his head in worship and he said, Blessed be God. The Lord has given this. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Let's think about it positively. We can depend on the Holy Spirit because joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 2 and 22. And we have the Spirit of Christ who indwells us. And we can also meditate on Christ. And we can make much of his person and work and think of his grace, his greatness, his glory, his goodness to us. And know we understand, I believe, about him that there, there's an increase in joy. Every day we should read the scriptures, a regular reading of the Bible. Oh, that we could do that in Northern Ireland. Oh, that in every home the Bible was just read, even for a few minutes every day. What a difference it would make. We could learn to pray every day and ask the Lord for things. Talk to the Lord. There's no substitute for that. Could I finish with this? And I am finished. Billy Sunday, the great evangelist, whenever he got converted, there was a man giving him a bit of advice. I'm going to give you a bit of advice, son. Would you listen to it? So Billy, he nodded his head. He says, this is what I want you to do. I never want to hear your backslidden. And I'm going to tell you how to avoid it. 15 minutes every day, listen to God by reading the Bible. And 15 minutes every day, talk to God in prayer about the, what you read in the Bible. And then 15 minutes every day, talk to somebody else about God and your testimony and how you got saved. And you see, in the expression of it, if we avoid these things, and we positively adopt this mindset. I'm going to meditate in Christ. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to try and live for Christ. I'm going to attend to the means of grace. Then I believe this is the way that increases our joy. I leave with you today this thought. Rejoice in the Lord. May the Lord bless you. Thank you for coming.